It's Monday, July 18th. I'm Pam Jones. Primary day in Maryland is upon us, but between redistricting the delayed elections and a late counting of mail-in ballots, election officials warn we may not know the winners in tomorrow's key races for a while. Baltimore's incumbent state's attorney says she is the right person for reducing the city's violent homicide rate, despite facing a federal trial on perjury charges. Maryland's COVID positivity rate is continuing with grim numbers. A 15-year-old city squeegee worker has been denied bail. And we'll get out on the Chesapeake Bay where our oyster population is making a comeback. It's the Daily Dose from WYPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Maryland's primary election is tomorrow. Voters will choose their candidates for the top three posts in the state, including governor, attorney general, and comptroller. Polls are open from 7 a.m. until 8 p.m. Tuesday likely will not be your typical election night with final results from the polls and victory and concession speeches. That's because by law, election officials can't start counting hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots statewide until Thursday. WYPR's John Lee reports. Candidates like Democrat Robbie Leonard, who's running for state's attorney in Baltimore County, say election night parties will be to thank their volunteers. No one's going to know who the winners are for another 10 days after they count all the mail-in ballots. Democratic gubernatorial candidate Tom Perez blames Governor Hogan for vetoing legislation that would have allowed the mail-in ballots to be counted in advance. So Larry Hogan has single-handedly slowed down the process. What does that do? That sows discontent and that sows distrust. Hogan says he supports counting mail-in ballots early, but the legislation passed by the General Assembly lacked needed security measures. John Lee, WIPR News. And as WIPR's Joel McCord reports, in addition to the delayed primary redistricting and hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots that won't be counted tomorrow, elections officials are expecting a lukewarm voter turnout. For one thing, there are a half million mail-in ballots out there. Nikki Charlson, deputy administrator of the State Board of Elections, says that's a number they don't often see in what historically has been a low turnout election. We had a good turnout during early voting. 175,000 voters voted. So we'll, we're prepared for however many people show up tomorrow, but... Um, typically, we see less than 30 percent turnout in this type of election. And because they can't start counting those ballots until Thursday, it will take another 10 days before we know for sure who won and by how much. There's also a shortage of election judges. If anybody, any of your listeners is interested in being an election judge, I would say please call your local board of elections today and, and offer your services. I'm Joel McCord, WYPR News. Wearing a mask is also not mandated at the polls tomorrow, although the CDC encourages mask wearing in crowded spaces as the highly transmissible BA5 variant surges across the country. The Maryland State Health Department's latest numbers reflect a continued dismal surge in the number of cases. Another more than 1,800 new cases have been confirmed, and the positivity rate is still above 9 percent. 540 Marylanders are in area hospitals, and five more people have died in the state in the last 24 hours due to virus-related complications. 
A 15-year-old squeegee worker has been denied bail in connection with the shooting of a Baltimore resident. The teenager is charged with first and second-degree murder, assault, and gun violations in connection with the incident at the intersection of Light and Conway Streets in Baltimore's Inner Harbor earlier this month. The teen is being held in juvenile detention as his attorneys seek to file a motion to move the case to juvenile court. Utility company officials report several hundred residents and businesses remain without power almost a week after last Tuesday's storms. BG&E officials say most of their outages are in Baltimore County and that almost 99 percent of all the storm's outages have been restored. A cooling shelter at the Jacksonville Senior Center in Baltimore County is still open for residents trying to escape the heat. When Baltimore's Democrats head to the polls tomorrow, they'll be choosing from three candidates for state's attorney, each with their own strategy for reducing the city's skyrocketing homicide rate. Among them, incumbent Marilyn Mosby, who has been charged with two counts of perjury and making false statements in relation to her purchase of homes in Florida. Louisa Jonas has that story. Mosby says that she knows she has done absolutely nothing wrong and says she is being targeted because of her policy choices as a black leader who refuses to discriminate based on race. I will never be complicit in that type of discriminatory enforcement of laws against poor black and brown people. That has made me a target. I have received hate mail, death threats. I've been mocked. I've been ridiculed. I've been harassed. I've been sued. I've been investigated. Mosby says that it is unfortunate that the city of Baltimore is known throughout the state, country, and world for its violence. She points to her creation of the first Conviction Integrity Unit in Maryland. The CIU investigates claims of actual innocence and wrongful conviction. It receives approximately 300 requests a year from incarcerated individuals. Mosby says the unit has become a state and national model. Mosby says she disagrees with the other candidates' proposed plans to tackle violence in Baltimore. She says her opponents' tough-on-crime plans do not work. They're talking about zero tolerance, going back to an era of zero tolerance policing, which led to mass incarceration, which led to police abuse and police corruption. Saru Vignaraja, a former city, state, and federal prosecutor, is one of her opponents. He says that one of his top priorities will be to rebuild relationships with the community, authorities, and police. And he says criminals will be held responsible for their actions. If you're using 40 caliber weapons, have fired 10 or more shots at the crime scene, are committing these murders in broad daylight and finishing victims off with headshots, that's not your first offense. It's something you've done before and it's something you're likely to do again. So our complement of cold case prosecutors are gonna focus on those cases. Vignaraja says if elected, he plans to get more homicide detectives. He says in Baltimore County, there's one detective for every three murders. In Baltimore City, there's one detective for every 10. It's a huge part of why in the county they solve 90% of homicides, but in Baltimore City, we make arrests in less than a quarter. Vignaraja says that the day of lawlessness is over and that a new day has arrived. He says criminals will be held responsible. Ivan Bates, 
the managing partner of the law firm Bates and Garcia, is the third candidate in the race. Bates says he knows what he wants his legacy to be. That I kept my word and I gave 100% effort and I really cared about the people and put people first. I think so often we don't believe politicians um, believe that they're for us. I don't want to view myself as a politician, but I think if you're running for political office, you're kind of de facto politician. But I just want to be different. I want people to see who I am. Bates says he's asking voters that if they want to change, to give him a chance. Mosby, Vignaraja, and Bates all say that tackling the homicide problem is a top priority. They just differ on how to get the job done. Louisa Jonas, WIPR News. The Chesapeake Bay's legendary oyster population, once all but wiped out by overfishing, disease, and pollution, is making a comeback. It's being helped along by a program to build sanctuary reefs and bay tributaries. WIPR's Joel McCord reports on the start of a new reef. A lumbering 72-foot ox of a boat with oyster shells piled high on its deck is making its way back and forth across a carefully plotted spot near the mouth of the Severn River. Slots open in barriers near the gunnels and the shells, coated with baby oysters, slide overboard into the water. Tom Gay, program director of the Severn River Association, explains the boat is operating on a computer-guided GPS system. And the computer tells them which coordinates, GPS coordinates, to use to locate where they're actually planting the oysters. And so the computer starts driving the boat when they're going through this operating, with this planting operation. This will be the newest oyster reef in the Oyster Recovery Partnership's Build a Reef program. The organization has teamed up with the Severn River Association, as well as environmental groups on the eastern shore to restore historic oyster reefs. The SRA's Gay says they already have redeveloped reefs upstream between the Naval Academy and Route 50 bridges. We have five pieces of oyster reef up there that we've already planted, so we're opening up a new area here, kind of running out of real estate upriver. And so we're also involved in a project to identify new areas to plant these. He says they have their eyes on one more site. There's another one just south of us that we could use next year. And the idea is one day to have billions of these guys cleaning our river. Scientists say replenishing the oyster population is key to restoring the Chesapeake Bay. One adult oyster can filter as much as 50 gallons of water a day. Oyster reefs provide habitat for grass shrimp, mud crabs, and other small critters that rockfish, blue crabs, and larger creatures feed on. In addition to the reefs in the Severn, ORP has rebuilt reefs on more than 1,000 acres on the bottoms of Chop Tank tributaries, Harris Creek, the Little Chop Tank, and the Tread Avon, and in the Eastern Bay. Ward Slakeham, ORP's executive director, says the Build a Reef program, now in its fourth year, is part of a statewide effort to restore the Chesapeake's oyster population. I'm proud to say that working with the state, the Oyster Recovery Partnership has planted more than 9 billion oysters in the Chesapeake Bay since 1993. 
The shells come from ORP's Shell Recycling Program. Crews pick up oyster shells from restaurants, bars, and even landfills from around Maryland and haul them to a landfill in Graysonville, just the other side of the Kenton Arrows. They clean them and take them to the University of Maryland's Horn Point Hatchery near Cambridge. Jesse Iliff, executive director of the Severn River Association, explains scientists there place the shells in a tank and release free-swimming oyster larvae into the water. And they scatter around in the water until they touch something hard, and that's what's called striking on that surface. And oysters like old oysters more than anything else to grow on. Iliff says the shells in this operation have between 5 and 30 baby oysters clinging to them, each one no bigger than a tiny dot. In a year, those dots will turn into something the size of a, a penny or a nickel. Two years, they'll be about the size of a silver dollar, and three years, they'll be they would be big enough to harvest. But these oysters won't show up on the half shell at your favorite seafood restaurant, he adds. They're protected because of their ecological value. I'm Joel McCord, WYPR News. The Daily Dose is brought to you by WIPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Many thanks to my news team colleagues, Rachel Bay, Shekinah Collier, Bethany Brunel-Raja, John Lee, Joel McCord, and Kristen Mossbrucker. Our general manager is LaFontaine Oliver. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. If you have a scoop or suggestion for this podcast, my social media hangout is Twitter, at That's Pam Jones. Remember to be courageous and stay curious. I'm Pam Jones. Thanks for listening.